Subtext and Discourse, a podcast which takes you behind the scenes of the art world with the artists, curators, collectors and other unique individuals involved in the field. I'm your host, Michael Dooney. Today, I'll be speaking with Fiona Sweet, who since 2016 has been the festival and artistic director of the Ballarat International Photo Biennial. The festival itself was founded in 2005, and since then it has become Australia's most significant photographic arts festival. Fiona and I had been briefly in contact via email when she first took it over, though we eventually met when she visited Europe in 2018 to participate in a number of photography festivals and strengthen relations between the contemporary photography communities here in Europe and those back in Australia. Today we'll find out how the festival has changed under her direction and the impact COVID-19 has had on the planning of the 2021 edition of the Ballarat International Photo Biennial. This is the 30th episode of Subtext and Discourse, so thanks to all the listeners who have been with us since the beginning. After the show, I'll be announcing some plans for the future of the program. However, until then, I hope you enjoy listening to my conversation with Fiona Sweet. I have to ask, what were you doing before you took over the festival? Yes, I was running a medium-sized branding and design agency in Melbourne for 20 years. So I decided to move on from that. I sold it. And the primary work that I was doing there was art direction and photography. So it was interesting when about six months after I sold the business, I started getting itchy feet and I thought I don't really want to do nothing anymore and I'm used to working. So when an email came into my inbox that invited me to apply, I left it there for a couple of months thinking, I don't think that's what I want to do. I don't know if I want to live in Ballarat, which, as you know, is a regional city 120 kilometres west of Melbourne. But in the end, I thought I'll give it a try and I'll apply. I hadn't really applied for a job for a very, very long time. So I thought I'll give it a go. And I gave it a go. And um, lo and behold, I was the winning applicant. So the job started May 2016. And I had really only six months to put the program together and get the funding. So it was quite chaotic that first year. Oh, gosh. Okay. Are you living in Ballarat now? During COVID, I'm living back in Melbourne because the office is closed. Yeah. But normally I live in Ballarat. Is it much of a change going from Melbourne to Ballarat? Because I've never been to Ballarat, actually, so I'm just trying to picture how it scales or how the difference <laughs> going from Melbourne to Ballarat. It's worlds apart. So Melbourne is a major cosmopolitan city with every form of art form here, all kinds of restaurants, dance, ballet, music, theatre. And Ballarat is a population of 95,000 people. There's one theatre, a traditional old theatre. There's the Art Gallery of Ballarat, which is a beautiful, beautiful art gallery. But I suppose the best way to describe Ballarat is that in the 1800s, it was built on gold money. So there was a gold rush in Australia and Ballarat was the epicentre of the gold rush. So it became a major centre for business and economy. It's a beautiful city that's made up of Federation architecture. And so the city is almost like a little tiny historical town. If you think of some of those smaller German towns that you would have been to, that I've been to, that are very pretty and charming, it's like that. Very quiet. And it sits on a plateau and it's very, very cold during winter, much colder, about 8 to 10 degrees colder than Melbourne, which is what I'm used to. And then in summer, it's excessively hot. It can get up to 48 degrees in summer and it goes down to about minus 2 in winter. So, yes, really, really different. And did the festival exist for long before you took it over? Yes, the festival started in 2005 in Dalesford. And then in 2009, they grew out of Dalesford, which is an even smaller town. It's a little spa town, just only about 50 kilometres from Ballarat. And it moved to Ballarat in 2009 with the same director. And then the director retired in 2015. So it's been around for quite some time. I think this festival next year will be the ninth Biennale. So that's 18 years it's been around. So it's had a really long and 
significant history as a photographic festival, not just in Ballarat but in Australia. Since you started as a new artistic director, you've wanted to make it a bit more international than what it was previously. I suppose when you take over any kind of creative job, you make some decisions about what you envisage, how you want to put your mark on the festival or the event. I certainly had strong ideas of the kinds of artists that I'd like to represent, certainly increasing the number of female artists that were exhibited. I suppose it's just it's a matter of the belief that you have and the kinds of artists that you want to exhibit because you actually like the kinds of stories that you're telling. Yeah. So it was always an international festival. It's just that the kinds of artists that I selected from 2017 and then in 2019 were just a little bit different to the previous ones and perhaps they're a little bit more significant Mm -hmm. in the global sense of importance and therefore the audiences came along in bigger numbers. Okay. And it's perhaps why it got a bit more attention because it had that wider appeal perhaps. Photography can and a lot of art forms can have a very niche audience. Because was it just the same director the entire time it was founded? It was. It was the same director for, for, for those years. And I think... Oh, it makes sense then. Whenever you have a new director of anything, it's fresh blood, fresh ideas. It's like when they say the whole under new management. And then- <laughs> well, hopefully it works when it's under new management. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I really was more interested in not just lens-based photography, but I was looking at non-lens-based photography as well. Photographers that might not necessarily call themselves only photographers, but looking at mm-hmm. photographers who see themselves also as artists or visual artists. Okay. And that photography is one of their mediums. So that was quite a big shift. I can believe that. I think if anything, there's sort of two groups of people. There's photographers and there are people that use cameras as part of their artistic practice. They produce quite different work and the audiences have different expectations of what it is that they produce as well. Maybe that is a kind of bigger change, more to a contemporary art perspective rather than classical photography. I mean, we had a sculptor do a residency for three months in Ballarat in the new building and he's created all these beautiful sculptural forms throughout the building and it became a walkthrough exhibition and he also took photos of the work and photos became a secondary exhibition that were exhibited during the Biennale five months later. Oh, so you have a residency as well and a building. We have a permanent space currently that's not finished. So it's not quite a centre yet, but it will be a series of galleries, workshop space, photo book library, a cafe, of course, gift shop. So it'll, it'll be like a little mini photographer's gallery like in London, if you can imagine that kind of a concept. Oh, nice. That's what we're working towards. Uh, we'll still have the Biennale and we'll still inhabit all the different crazy buildings that we already inhabit during the festival because there's not many galleries in the town. So we inhabit wonderful old mining exchanges and strange laneway buildings. We'll keep doing all that. But what it will allow us to do is have a program all year round as well. Yeah. Okay, so you said they have a residency, but then I guess you'll take on like an educational program and... Yes, I love the education program that we've already got, so that will expand. We had 3,800 students come to the festival last year and that was really big numbers for us. And that just proved that if we create an education program, students will come. The idea is to continue that education program all year round. I particularly love photography as a form of education for students. It's just a wonderful way for all kinds of students to engage with art without having to feel that they can or can't do something. It's not like an end product process for photography. No. Tell me more about the residency. We don't know that much about the residency. We're going to have two residencies. (laughs) 
We're going to have two resident apartments in the building when it's renovated. So 2023 is when it will be built. So if the audiences from Europe want to come and stay with us, that's when they can start coming to us. But the idea is that we'll invite artists to come and stay, do a project, work with the students within the community. And conversely, we're hoping that we'll get some of the artists from Ballarat to then also do cultural exchanges in other countries and other cities as well. Yeah, wow. How has the response been in the city then, in Ballarat itself, to the new, I guess, new leadership? Because if you've got how many thousand students coming through each year and a lot of other programs, I can imagine that would be a big economic injection into the city. They love us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's been fantastic. They haven't experienced something like this before. So everyone's really, really positive about the changes. Everyone's really happy about it. We have fringe exhibitions of photography in the cafes and the bars and the restaurants. So from that perspective, from the businesses in town, they're always thrilled because lots of people come through. Mm -hmm. The artists are happy because they get to exhibit and they get to exhibit alongside other artists from around Australia and around the world. This is lovely dialogue. We have artists coming to visit us, of course, because it's a festival. So there's artist talks and artist walks. And then just generally, we have a lot of people from Melbourne coming to experience the festival as well. So it's pretty good for the town. Yeah, definitely. We all know how important arts are for every town. Yeah. And we know now that COVID-19 has hit, the artists are being hit hardest. And I hope that we'll get much more support than um, we get. Yeah, because I guess in Australia, the Arts Council's been rolled up into the Transport Ministry, hasn't it? Yes, it has indeed. The Federal Government's Arts Council is now part of Transport. I don't understand it at all. No. Makes no sense. <laughs> Makes no sense. <laughs> anyway, going back to the festival scene... I remember, oh, I can't remember what year it was now, actually. When did you come over to Europe? Was it 2016 or 17? Or 18? 2018. 2018. Yes, your summer. Yes, that's right. Because remember, you came to Berlin and then we saw each other again in Arles. How many of the festivals in Europe did you manage visiting? I went to a lot. I started off in Frankfurt at Ray Festival. Mm -hmm. I was there for about a week and a half, which was a fantastic photographic festival in some of the most beautiful galleries, met fantastic artists great dialogue and then from there I don't remember where I went I think I might have gone to Dusseldorf and caught up with some of the galleries there and then I went to Hamburg and went to the Hamburg Triennale I can't tell you the order but I'll tell you where I went so yeah, yeah, yeah. I went to Hamburg Triennale Ray in Frankfurt I went to the Woods Photographic Festival or Lodz in Poland I went to Athens Photographic Festival I went to Arles which I saw you in again and then in between that, I mainly spent most of my time in Germany. And in between that, I went to various cities in Germany, tracking different galleries and gallery directors and meeting with various people as I travelled. And then finally, I ended up in London for the last week. Mm -hmm. Was there any reason for a focus in Germany? Or was it just we had a lot of festivals happening at that time? No, I think that uh, there's a strong history of photography in Germany. Mm -hmm. And it's always been a passion of mine. So I was quite interested to see what was happening currently and also just go back a little bit in time. So when I went to Berlin and when I saw you in Berlin, I went to the, I don't remember all the names of the places because they're in German, but I went to the East German Collective of Photographers. Been there. I don't know what it's called. Oh, the Ostkreuz, sure. Ostkreuz. Yeah. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> and so I was kind of interested in seeing Germany. Mm-hmm. I think when you travel, it's good to have a complete mission and not fly around too much. Yeah, I had a really, really good time. Had you been to any of the festivals or cities before? I'd never been to Germany before. That was all new to me. And I hadn't been to Isle before, so that was my first time there. First time in Poland and my first time in Athens. So, yes, other than London, I hadn't been to any of the places I'd been to. And that was also a good thing to do, was to go to places I hadn't been to before and meet new people. Yeah. What was your prior experience with photography festivals? Did you ever go to Photo Frio or are there any others in Australia that you had experience with? No, I've never been to a photographic festival before I became the director of the Ballarat International Photo Biennale. So I've been to many, many festivals, but not photography. Oh, okay. Did that make you a bit nervous before you took it over? I think it's quite good not to know too much when you start because I think if you know it all, Mm -hmm. if you know what's coming and you know you don't know it, I think it would be a disaster. On one hand, I was unfortunate that there was no handover notes. On the other hand, I could just start where I started and just begin Mm -hmm. to imagine what the festival could look like. I think in reflection, I was actually quite fortunate that I had no directives and no serious information about what I should do. Yeah. Because it just meant I could just have this blank canvas and I could just imagine what to put in each building in terms of exhibitions and create the kind of concept and the theme for it and just let the narrative run. Yeah. I mean, it did mean that a lot of the details of, you know, workshop spaces and workshops and all that kind of engagement was a little bit light-hearted in 2017. But by 2019, I had all that sort of sorted. Yeah, it was quite amazing, really. When you think about it, I had absolutely no background in festivals at all, and I just dived in. In photography festivals? Any festivals. Oh, any festivals. Oh, I thought you said you did theatre or other festivals. But you would have been to them, I guess. I've been to them, but I've never been involved in them, no. So it's quite an achievement, really. I'm quite pleased with where I've got to. Yeah, definitely. So going to Europe and going to the different photography festivals, how did they all compare individually going to the Ray Festival, Triennale in Hamburg, going to Wuj, going to Arles, after doing Ballarat in 2017, then coming to Europe in 2018, and then going back to present the festival again in 2019? How did the trip influence your direction of the following year? Well, it was interesting because each city's festivals were quite different. In the bigger cities, the festivals were not as obvious to the community. Unless you knew that it was on, you didn't really engage as much. So something like Hamburg, for example, unless you were actually in the know, you wouldn't have known where the festival was. There wasn't a lot of signage, there wasn't a lot of advertising. It was a fabulous festival, but it was quite discreet in a larger city. In Frankfurt, it's a smaller city. There was a little bit more visibility. But I think the people that do it the best, of course, are Al. And the director who started the festival, the Ballarat Photo Biennale, his name's Jeff Morford, had been to Al and he based his festival in Dalesford and then Ballarat on Al. And I could see once I went to Al where the similarities were, which is that it's a tiny walkable town, which is what Ballarat is. And what it allows is allows people to come and engage with the whole town while they're looking the artwork. So I think for me, R was the most interesting in terms of being able to see, as you know, you can just see everything wherever you go, there's something going on in that old city. Athens, again, was quite spread out, the exhibition. So if you didn't know where you were going, there was no feeling of a festival within the city. So in many ways, I I felt after that trip that Ballarat had some real strengths as a festival and that we were going along the right path. 
I think even as you say, and if I think about how it is in Arles, the whole community or the whole town is engaged in the festival. They know that it's coming up. There's that significant opening week in the calendar. And then they know we're going to get a big influx of guests and people coming to the city. How long does the Ballarat Festival go for? Thinking of Arles now, do you have a concentrated opening and then it continues on for a few months? We're on for 60 days. That fabulous opening week that Hamburg had and Athens had and all the other festivals had a really strong opening week. We don't seem to have that as much in Ballarat. It feels like the Europeans embrace the other European countries' festivals really, really well. There's this sort of trail, if you like, and you know that yourself because you do the same trail. It feels like people who love photography go to all the festivals. I'm still working on that that sort of connection between Ballarat and the rest of Australia. It seems to be a little bit separate. It's something that I inherited and it's very difficult to get more people from around the country to come for that opening week and to celebrate. I think Photo Frio, from my knowledge, I've not been there before, but I think they had that sort of people coming from all around Australia in that first week, particularly photographers. So that's something that I was really excited by and I realised that even though we have really good numbers in the opening weekend, we don't have this full week of celebration. And I do think it has something to do with the weather. I mean, we're in winter and it's really, really cold and it's dark at four o'clock. So I think that the whole idea of summer and festivals does go really well. Yeah, definitely. Were you doing reviews when you came to the festival? Yes, I did reviews everywhere, which was great. And did you discover any interesting talent to bring back? Yes, I did. Diana Lulonik was in Poland and I exhibited her work in the festival in 2019. And we actually took her work and extended it to an education program with the primary school children. So her work is called Centre for Living Things. And she looks at the idea of organic matter growing in garbage. So that's what her series of work is about. And so we played on that and had the children in the botanical gardens trying to grow plants on garbage, which is quite beautiful and documenting it. <laughs> oh, nice. But I met lots of people in Arles as well. So Leia Abril I met in Arles and talked to her about exhibiting and she was very keen and she exhibited in 19. I met Noemi Goodall, had long chats with her, Roseanne Lynch from Ireland and exhibited her work. So, yes, yeah, certainly travelling and meeting people I think is really important for the director of a festival to be able to connect with not just the artwork but the people who do the artwork that you can engage in, in their dialogues and find out the real intent of their work. Obviously, it's unfortunate with the outbreak but I think definitely – our industry in particular, which is so dependent on meeting other people in person, because you have like one or two times a year when you get a big concentrated amount of work done just because everybody's there and you can catch up and you can talk about ideas and then plan out the rest of your year. Now we have to do it over Zoom or another video program to try to make that happen. But speaking of then with the shutdown, you'd sent me information about this mass isolation project. A project that's run over Instagram with the hashtag Mass Isolation Australia, UK, Ireland. And Iceland. And Iceland, okay. The project's been just fantastic to watch it grow. So we've invited all of Australians to upload their images of themselves, of their family during this period of mass isolation. And we haven't just asked artists to upload. It's really a community project. And we've got about 6,000 images so far in the hashtag Mass Isolation AUS on Instagram. And then I've got two curators that are curating the Instagram page. We've got about 200 images in there. We're all living in mass isolation. I'm here at home. You're at your home, I'm guessing. 
it's such an unusual time. It's going to be remembered for hundreds of years, this particular period in history. And to be able to collect these images now from people telling their stories, tragic stories of people that have lost their jobs, people who are really nervous and frightened, right through to the joy of families being at home and baking cakes, looking at landscapes that are normally filled with cars and people that are just completely empty. All this imagery is just so rich in terms of its description of the COVID-19 pandemic. So it's been a fantastic project to be a part of. So the Beanali's Instagram feed, if you like, been going since March. What are we in now? I don't know. We look at the clock. June, June, there you go. And it's not finished yet. We don't know how much longer it'll continue. Everyone talks about second waves. I'm not sure what else to tell you, except that it's really good archive to have a look at. I mean, there's many, many major photographers uploading their images as well. So it's a mix between beautifully composed and beautifully lit images right through to young people just taking photos of their families through glass panels. We've extended the Mass Isolation AUS program and we've just commissioned Jessie Marlowe, who's a street photographer, to do a series of eight workshops that we're giving for free to all the schools in Australia. So that's an at-home education program. So that's been good to follow and good to grow. So is it just for people within Australia that are sending their work in? So there's a mass isolation, hashtag mass isolation Instagram feed, which is for all the different countries that are involved in this. Mm -hmm. So everyone's asked to hashtag mass isolation Australia if they're in Australia, Mm -hmm. but also hashtag mass isolation to be in the big pool. So there's about 20,000 images in mass isolation Instagram, and there's about six just for Australia. And we just have been talking about developing a, a global exhibition that will share across all the festivals as well. So who are the other festivals that you're involved with? It's Format Festival, which is in, I'm going to say Derby or is it Derby? I'm not sure. It's in England. There's one in Iceland and there's one in Ireland. So Format initiated it and we joined Format in the project, which was great. And I think if we thought about it when we were all starting it in March, we would have immediately got the rest of the world involved in it. But I think we were all, in a sense, just like everyone else during this period, trying to work out what we were doing. Yeah. I had to deal with no funding, potentially no money coming in. Was there going to be a festival next year? Who knew? In those first four weeks, we really didn't know how serious the pandemic was going to be. And it's only now that it's eased that we've realised that we could have really opened it up a lot more to the rest of the world. At the moment, then, at least, the festival will still go ahead in 2021. Yes, I think we'll be fine. Yeah. I think we'll be fine in August. We probably won't have international travel and we probably won't have as much interstate travel. And if there's a second or third wave, we still might have restrictions on the number of people that are entering a gallery. Yeah. But the public programming is something that I'll grow to counteract any problems being inside buildings. Yeah. I've done the whole risk management assessment. But I'm not really going to make that final decision till February next year. Yeah, okay. But most of the festivals in Australia, not just photography, of course, but all the festivals are closed this year, just like they have around the world. Mm -hmm. How has it been actually in Australia? Because you're in Melbourne at the moment, you were saying. How has it been in terms of masks and social distancing and stuff like that? Yeah, I'm not seeing as many masks as I thought I would, but we're all social distancing. Everyone's being very polite. Mm -hmm. Everyone's being very courteous and everyone's being really kind. Oh, that's good. Which I think is a fantastic outcome of something like uh, a pandemic. It's only this week that the shops and the cafes have opened up and not all of them have opened. So like the rest of the world, I've been 
sitting around in the house watching things like a computer and just walking the dog three times a day. It's just quiet. It's just really, really quiet. There's lots more bird life. The air feels fresher and cooler and cleaner. There's just not masses of cars on the road. It's quite unusual times. What's it like in Berlin? I mean, yesterday in the park, you wouldn't know there was a pandemic. It was that full of people, no masks, no social distancing. It's strange because you go to the supermarket and then everyone's masked up, but then you go somewhere else and then you wouldn't know that there's a problem or you wouldn't know that there's anything happening. I can see why people are getting really confused and frustrated with the different regulations and instructions because it is so inconsistent everywhere that you go. But for the most part, it's been fine, actually. It's been quite good. Most people are pretty easy going with it. Everyone's just following what they're supposed to be doing. Less people are wearing masks outside. It's more when you go into a place of business, when you go on public transport, when you go into buildings. But other than that, most people outside are respecting distances and things like that. Many, many people are enjoying the experience and many, many people are suffering. Yeah. You know, my friends who are artists, musicians, actors, they're out of work, they've got rent to pay, their part-time casual work is usually cafes and bars and they've all been closed. So I do feel for them greatly. And then I've got loads and loads of friends who've got little children and they've had their children at home every day. The schools have all been closed in Australia for about seven weeks. So going back to the archive, I think that's why the archive is going to be so interesting because sometimes when you're in it, you don't really know exactly what's happening. And it's that thing of going into the future and looking back is what really defines sometimes a period in history. Well, I was thinking even when we get the newspaper delivered, it should probably keep the clippings or even just keep the front page to show and remember it. But yeah, I think you're right. Because we live in a different age now than in the 50s or 60s where you just had the newspaper or the television news, we can all somehow now document everything because we have a camera attached to our phones so everybody can actually document what is going on. And we have a public archive almost of this really unusual period in history. I mean, I don't know if you've started curating anything or you've got some people that are going through the images already. Yeah, so we always have curatorial interns from Melbourne University. When they started, it was just before the pandemic hit Australia. They'd started doing some work with me on projects for next year. And then all of a sudden, of course, none of us were going to the office and really we didn't even know what was happening next year. We couldn't even look that far. So it was great to be able to give them this project. So they are going through the five and a half, six thousand images and selecting works to put into the Instagram page, Mass Isolation Annuals. There's about 220 in there so far. So I'm still not sure. I'm not sure whether we'll do a large digital screen and we'll just show all the images day and night during the festival and or we'll just do the curated component. And then it's about whether we want to publish some kind of book record of it and then there's the whole issue of considering that you have to make sure that we preserve the images. Even though they're on Instagram, that's a format that might not last the test of time. So I'm looking at how to make sure that we can preserve them, whether we ask the major library here yeah. to archive those images. Or we could just dig a hole and put a hard drive in there. <laughs> <laughs> Some kind of, you know, keepsake. Yeah, exactly. Do not open this for 3,020. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Have there been any unusual themes or trends or images that have been coming out? Everyone's taking a lot of the photos of empty streets and places that are devoid of people. And something I've been photographing here is a lot of the shops outside are painting lines to show what the social distancing distance is when you're queuing up to go to the supermarket. I've been photographing those because when there's no people there, you just see this pattern on the floor that has no context. Have there been any interesting themes that have come out that are unexpected? Look, there's lots of 
themes, which you can imagine. So there's a theme of being at home. There's a theme of loneliness. So there's a lot of the looking out the window, looking sad, of course. And then there is all the crazies, you know, the red tape, the tape on the ground, all the kind of no-go zones areas. And those photographs are probably the most beautiful. There was an article in the Weekend Australian, which is the major arts publication in the review section, and they took about 12 of our images from the feed that were just different people's photographs of tape, you know, just all kinds of tape from just strange coloured tape that peels off straight away and doesn't really work right through to the sort of tape that you might use for a crime scene. So the messaging, I think, is quite interesting because the communication of a crime scene tape is being taken out of context and used to block you from entering a street or to stop you from entering into a shop and then there's all these really great photos of arrows so this notion that we're now being told which direction to go and how to go there's lots of photos of people who've hand painted and illustrated their masks and put messages on them and taken photos of those You know, there's that theme of us sheltering in our spaces and our places. Mm -hmm. That's a very strong theme. There hasn't been a lot of images of hospitals. So in the broader mass isolation feed, there's lots of images of ventilators and hospitals. And I think that probably reflects the fact that, that we haven't had that spike in medical treatment. Oh, in Australia? In Australia. So there hasn't been a lot of visual representations of people dying in hospitals or large graves where people are being mass buried. I mean, we haven't had that level of trauma that Europe has had and that America has had and that Brazil has had. So the images are a little bit more domestic and they're not as broad in terms of the context of the virus. And that's really because it, it just hasn't hit like that and hopefully it won't. There's lots of photos of nature taking over. I spoke earlier to you about the fact that, you know, there's these gorgeous birds in our trees that you never see, like wonderful, colourful parrots that you just don't see in inner city Melbourne ever. So a lot of people are taking photos of nature's rebirth as a result of the world slowing down. So they're not necessarily unpredictable, Mm -hmm. but they're certainly very descriptive of the different kinds of elements of this pandemic. You mentioned before that you got a bit of press for it. Has it received much press so far? Yes, it's been incredibly popular. So it's been on most of the radio stations. Time Out has done a story, but of course now they're called Time In. Yes, it's had really good coverage. And what's been great is that we've been able to ask the journalists to choose the images that they want because it's this enormous speed. There's this opportunity for them to explore the images and actually interpret the narratives as they want to. That's quite unique, actually, I would say. So, yeah, it's been really, really good. As I said, this whole idea of non-curated and mass upload from mass isolation has given it that democratic collection, something that I think that photography has within its nature. Mm-hmm. How can people participate actually in Ballarat Photo? Is it by invitation? If you're a photographer, how would you go about participating in a festival like Ballarat Photo? So there's the curated component and then there's the open program. Mm-hmm. And the open program, there's about 75 venues in Ballarat that you can exhibit. And so that's completely uncurated. And then the curated, look, people do email me with their works and I do always consider what people send me. But yes, it is particularly curated on the theme mm-hmm. and often it's it's worked out two years before. So if I see something today that's of interest, I will file it and I might not use it for the next festival but I might use it for the festival after. 
But coming back to the idea that we've got this building, once that building's up and running and we've got the three galleries, possibly four galleries in that space, that will all be uh, temporary spaces, we'll be able to exhibit a lot more work all the time. So that will be an opportunity to see much more work exhibited from Australia and abroad. But in order for people to engage with us, the best thing to do is subscribe to our e-news. Mm-hmm. And when you go to the website, which is called Ballarat Photo with an F, dot org, so Ballarat dot org, there's a button you can push that allows you to subscribe. And we communicate primarily through that medium and, of course, on our Facebook yeah. as well. So they're the two, Ballarat Photo on the Facebook so Facebook and the electronic newsletters are the two ways that we talk to people in general about what we're doing and the opportunities. Because there is a um, new photography prize called the Feynman, which looks at specifically the Asia-Pacific Asia region. And we're looking for bodies of work, not singular images. Yeah. And that gets shortlisted to about five artists. Last year, Gwen Lee, Alessandra Kapdokwa, myself and... Peg mm-hmm. were the judges for that. So that's an interesting project where you upload a series of works. That's an exhibition and a prize. And we have a portrait prize of a significant Australian as well. That's an open call. Okay. Photographer can be from anywhere, but the subject is someone of importance in art, sports, science, politics, and something else from Australia. From Australia. Hmm. Cool. And the Asia-Pacific region one, then, I guess it's focusing on... Australia, New Zealand and the Asia-Pacific region, that's right. We're looking at artists who are perhaps looking at the photographic medium in different ways. So we're looking at contemporary practice. Something new and exciting. Well, I'll direct everybody to the website and to subscribe to Instagram and, of course, everybody that's listening in Australia to submit their images to Mass Isolation. How long does it go for until there's a vaccine? Well, I think it's going to go for quite some time. We're going to just keep it open until things change. Mm-hmm. Initially, I thought it might be a couple of months, but it looks like it might be at least till the end of the year. And of course, we're looking at how things might visually change as the world starts to open up as well. I think that will be interesting to see how people reflect on the changes that have happened as a result of the changes. That will be quite interesting too. I hope you enjoyed listening to our conversation and finding out more about the Ballarat International Photo Biennial. As Fiona mentioned, if you'd like to keep up to date with the festival's activities, hear about their calls for entries and other opportunities, sign up for their newsletter by visiting ballaratphoto.org or follow their Facebook page. If you want to see the works that have been curated from the Mass Isolation Project or perhaps submit your own Mass Isolation images, then visit Mass Isolation AUS on Instagram. You can also find these links and others mentioned during the program in the show notes of this episode. I mentioned at the beginning of the program that I have some plans for the future of the podcast, which I'll gradually be introducing over the next few episodes, one of which is making the program more interactive and hopefully fostering a community around the podcast. We all know that as a direct result of the pandemic, social interaction has been severely hindered. And for those of us in the arts and related industries, this has meant no openings or public gatherings, no performances, talks or presentations. All of the usual festivals, fairs and annual pilgrimages have either been postponed or cancelled until sufficient safety measures are put into place. So, in the interest of experimentation and digital interaction, I'd like to invite you as listeners to reach out on your preferred online platform to take part in what's coming up next. So social media is your thing, you can say hello on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter or even LinkedIn. You can use the contact form on my website, michaeldooney.net, 
On Podbean, where the podcast is hosted, you have the option of leaving a comment on individual episodes, or of course, you can also leave a review or rating on Apple Podcasts. The responses to this request will dictate some of the future plans, so if you are interested in being part of what's coming up next, I would encourage you to raise your digital hand and make your presence known. Until then, thanks everybody for listening. Have a great week, take care and stay healthy. My name's Michael Dooney, and you've been listening to Subtext and Discourse.